Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, friends, and welcome to season three of Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. In this podcast, you'll learn all about the fascinating jobs that people do, some that you might never have even heard of, as you contemplate your own possibilities. I started this podcast because I've always been fascinated by jobs. I even quit my own day job to spend a year as an intern, and you can read all about it in my new book, My What If Year?, It's out now and can be bought everywhere books are sold. Or head over to my website, aliciafmiranda.com, for more info. In these times of quiet quitting and great resignations and loud quitting or whatever, I think more people than ever want to follow their passion. Everyone on this podcast has, and I encourage you to do the same. Hey, everybody. Did you ever wonder why, even though I've lived in the UK for 15 years, I still talk like this and not with a British accent? Well, Samara Bay was here to help me answer that question. Samara is an author and speech coach whose clients range from candidates for US Congress to C-suite executives, international diplomats, high school girls, and Hollywood celebrities. Her book, Permission to Speak, is a revolution in how to think about your voice and everyone else's. And it's available now everywhere books are sold. You can follow her at Samara Bay on Instagram for tips and permission and on her website at www.samarabay.com. I loved talking to Samara and I know you're going to enjoy listening. Well, Samara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) You are in a hotel room on a beach in Puerto Rico right now, which is living your best life, I would say. I mean, I only realized as I was logging on to speak with you this morning that I'm literally living my what if week. (laughs) Every every week should be a what if week. (laughs) For sure. But especially when you leave your family, you go to not just the other side of the country, but an island uh, that you've never been to before. For a week long, I mean, in my case, it's it's like a women's conference meets, I feel like I'm going to be the most delinquent conference goer ever because <laughs> I just want to like, fuck off uh, and, and explore. So yeah. My suggestion is never leave. I think you should maybe just stay there. Your family will miss you, but they can come and visit. Once I read your book, I feel like I'll have the playlist on how exactly to do that, which I am, the wheels are already turning. So, yes. Yes. So, Samara and I met because we share a book birthday, which is a very exciting thing. We're book book birthday twins. And I'm just so excited to learn more about you and your book and your career and being a dialect coach and then being someone who's kind of using your voice to help others find their own. So I'm all about that and I can't wait to get into it. Oh, thank you. I'm so pleased to be here with you. And I, I mean, book twins is book twins. not nothing. Book twins it's is not, not nothing. nothing. <laughs> all right. So we're going to start with a little warm up, a this or that round, a few quick questions. Tell me the first thing that comes to your head and uh, maybe a little reason why 
or mm-hmm. you should never feel like you have to explain yourself so well so you can just say your answer and own it. Oh my God, I so much permission. So much permission to speak right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is the title of your book for those of you listening. <laughs> So. Now I've named you both of our book titles. It's like I'm a professional book promoter. It's almost point. like this is what you do for a living. <laughs> well, at this point, yes, it definitely feels that way. All uh, right, here we go. Question one. On the weekends, are you go, go, go or take it slow? On the weekends, I am the parent of a seven and a half year old. So I sort of honestly both like I need a little go. I need a little slow because I've been very go, go, go during the weeks and I'm trying to work on boundaries and generally have a sense of rest. But also it's my like, best only-ish time to hang out with my kids. So mm. sometimes we have lots of things planned. And I love, my dad gave me a book when he was born called How to Raise a Wild Child. Ooh. And the main, I'll get, you guys, you can, moms are too busy to read, right? Here's <laughs> the premise. I'm, no offense to the author. It's a lovely, <laughs> lovely book. Here's the, here's the takeaway. Model enjoying nature for your kid. That's nice. I, it was like, it's sort of obvious, but I just needed that little, you know, push when he was little, little. So we'll go on wanders that like aren't in the most stunning parts of, you know, my region or whatever, but just like actually notice stuff. So I feel like the go, go, go is trying to be intentional, I guess. I love that. I, my, my kids and my husband are such homebodies and I am just constantly dragging people out to do something with me. And I'm yeah, hoping I'm definitely that person one day they're right. gonna appreciate me instead of just being like, oh <laughs> my mom all the time with her I will activities. say <laughs> activities. How dare she expose me to adventure? Exactly. I will say that my kid is resistant whenever I suggest something, but I now just ignore that. Like Excellent. I'm a huge fan of listening <laughs> to him, except for that, because as soon as we're out of the house, he loves it every time. Yeah. So I'm just like, you're, you're the transition from inside to outside is a problem, but once we're there. You know. Happy to be there. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Question two, who has more fun, blondes or brunettes? You have been both, as I found in Google searching you. I mean, yeah. One of my um, favorite movies growing up was um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Such which a good is movie. actually it's a classic. It, I mean, it, it's a classic. It's it's, it's definitely it's problem. It's problematic. <laughs> it's problematic. It's oh my god! I'm, very I'm problematic, and yet there's something very magical about it. That's right. That's absolutely right. I'm I'm really borrowing that up. <laughs> Portmanteau. That's beautiful. Well, I'm I also, you know, for those of you who don't know what I look like, I'm also laughing because I have this like bleached blonde hair. So yes, I have experienced both sides. I will say I'm really loving being blonde and it's been like a year and a half and I thought I'd get over it and I'm not. So blonde. I'm going to do my hair for a book tour tomorrow and I can't decide. So <gasps> maybe this is I was blonde for a while. And then I went back to my natural color, which is brunette. But now, I don't know, maybe I'm going to do some highlights or something. My daughter just keeps being like, just get rid of the grays. Whatever you do, you're embarrassing me. I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done? Oh, my God. How old is she? 11 going on 17. I'm judgy, McJudgy. I know, so sassy, so sassy. I'm always like, you be, you be whatever you want. You look like whatever you want. She's like, yeah, just get rid of your grays, mom. Okay, fine. You're like, how about you tell me to be whatever I want? Yeah. By the time this podcast airs, my hair will be either blonde or brown and not gray. So that's fine. We'll be all sorted out. (laughs) All right. Question three, fiction or nonfiction? Uh, For full escapism fiction, of course. Mm. But what what I actually end up buying more of is nonfiction. And because my book is nonfiction, I 
was also just in research mode for so many years and not just research, like hard research, but research like gentle, you know, books that felt like thematically related, Mm -hmm. you know, like I love the art of gathering kind of books that are nonfiction, but are also kind of about like the cultural significance of humans in space, which is also kind of what my book is about. So what is in your ear podcasts or music podcasts? Always. Do you have a favorite or or nothing or nothing? Obviously this one. But obviously this <laughs> I'm I'm I honestly this is gonna be like such an unpopular opinion. I'm such a fan of silence. Mm. I think that's so great. More that than anything else. Yeah. Especially when you live in a loud world. Sometimes it's yeah. so nice to just have a I mean quiet. that whole like cliche of hearing yourself think is like very present for me. Yeah. I mean, if there's a lot of noise going on, or even if I'm trying to be cool and put music on, I'm like, I've diminished how well I can hear myself. Mm. So yeah. Love it. All right. Final question. Now, this one was, uh, I was chatting with my best friend yesterday and mentioning that I was interviewing you today and <gasps> told her what you do. And she said that I should ask you to do a Miami accent. I don't know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to or can. You could do just your favorite accent, but if you could do a Miami accent, I'm here for it. Are you from Miami? I am from Miami. That's why I get to go there on my book tour because it's my hometown. Well, I get this now. Um, do you have a Miami accent? So when I'm in Miami, I definitely have a Miami accent. <laughs> now I think I have more of like a generic mid-Atlantic Can you channel sort of it? accent. Can you channel it for us? I mean, it's like a little bro. Like there's just like a little inflection. Like when you're talking, it's definitely Latin influenced. But, you know, like, I don't know, a little slower is hot. But I'm out oh, of practice. Nice, a little slower. I, I, you know, I'm um, the Mexican influence. I or the Spanish influence that I get because I live in Southern California is definitely Chicano Mexican. Mm. So just if I'm like, if I'm just picking it up, like it definitely is a little bit of this sort of thing. That mm-hmm. was really chic. But anyway, um, no. But also, that's no, so good because that's like very. I would pull that out as like a like a Southern California. Like Mexican it's gotta be accent. right. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You, I will say this instead of answering your question directly, because I have not, I've never been hired to do a Miami accent. Okay. And actually, I learn accents when I get hired to do that. Like, I don't, I'm not just sort of, you know, a picker upper for, for, for no reason, unless I'm living there, obviously. But I will say this I coached Ricky Martin. Ooh. for uh, American Crime Story Versace, which I'm thinking about right now because obviously I'm in Puerto Rico yep. and I feel like he he represents Puerto Rico to me. And so I do uh, know of what you speak. Okay. Because I think, although he's obviously he's Puerto Rican, he also has like some Miami influence. And, you know. Scott- Scottish accent? Have you ever had to do a Scottish accent? I have not, but I I am a viewer of um, Outlander. <laughs> and so I have a bit of it that just like lives in me, you know, Claire. Yeah, <laughs> That's all oh, I can do. Is that actually. how you pronounce it? Yeah, sort Say of. It again? Yeah, for a long time we were like, we're living in Edinburgh and people are like, what yeah. is that? Right. Edinburgh. 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 It's the like, there's like a sitting into the sound that happens. It's very Okay, also to all my Scottish friends, I'm just apologizing to you for that in case I butchered the Scottish accent. People are always like, can you do a Scottish accent? I'm like, no. Can you do an American well, accent? how's their American accent? Exactly. It's like, it's like this. Like, <laughs> they think all Americans sound like really nasally. Well, also every, every British actor I've ever coached has this, and no offense to any single one of them. This is clearly not personal. This is some like universal, like, like truth. But 
they all come to the U.S. and have been told that and the way to do an American accent, besides those sound changes and maybe a little bit nasality, is to sound as flat as possible because we have no pitch variation. So we'd ever go up and down in anything <laughs> that we say. And I'm like, that is the, that is the recipe for the worst acting I've ever heard. So good luck. Also, we we have so much pitch variation. I mean, listen. To- Listen to Alicia and me. Exactly. So, we're we're not even listen to us. Exactly. But there is there is this is this is this sort of like conventional wisdom around the differences, you know. And they there is some built-in inflection in, you know, like sort of in the that we don't do that isn't in that baked-in way. As I like to say for anybody listening who is American and who wants to like wave the flag for for our American English, uh, we use a huge amount of amount of pitch variation, but it is based almost exclusively on meaning. Mm. So like, I, I mean, I just did an accidentally amazing example there, but the word meaning, <laughs> right, was the most important word in the thought. So it's based exclusively do-do-do-do on meaning, right? So I, I emphasize that by lifting it in pitch. We it. do that all the time. So people who say that Americans are flat. You're wrong. Uh, r- refer to this conversation. <laughs> refer to the, exactly. Refer back to minute uh, 10. Yeah, we've nailed it here. You nailed that, this or that round. Congratulations. Oh my God, I didn't know it was a test. It wasn't. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But maybe now that we've gone off on all sorts of wonderful accents, it would be a good time, Samara, for you to describe for our listeners what you do, because they might be thinking, if they just sort of popped into this, like, Wow, it's a lot of voices there. Yeah, what what, what the heck is she talking about? So, how do you describe to people what you do? So, at this point, honestly, I say two things because the author part of it feels like it's really expanding. But I'll start with the first one that you're that you beautifully set up for me. Thank you. I am a dialect coach in Hollywood, so I have a lot of experience both in New York and then in LA coaching actors on accents. And what that has meant in practice is, I mean, literally telling movie stars what to do with their tongues while um, also lovingly bringing them through the discomfort of learning a new thing. Because Mm -hmm. that's honestly part of it. Like, it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But it doesn't matter uh, overall if you just are great as sort of an academic when it comes to vowels and consonant sounds and, you know, substituting in one sound and substituting out another, which is you know, the sort of practical side of it, it's, it's irrelevant unless you can also help a human integrate that into a, you know, a beautifully realized performance that feels Mm. authentic and real. And so over time, I pick up so many, not just tips, but also just real curiosity about what it is to human out loud in front of other humans. Mm. And that brought me not just to Hollywood, but then also I started coaching women who were running for office for the 2018 midterms. I had this like put me in coach oh, moment. Cool. And, and then it was not about accents at all. It was truly these, it was women, you know, the 2018 midterms was this wild moment in American history. We were trying to change the narrative. We, meaning, you know, us mm-hmm. activists on the sidelines being like the world is falling apart. And moveon.org found me through a friend and they were like, do you have the, you know, time, space, interest, whatever in coaching all these women who are first time candidates and great at like, they would be, they're who we would want in charge. Yeah. But going public, that actual, the actual like pragmatics of how do I go from being a private citizen to being a person who gets on a stage and talks to people like I know how to, you know, rally a crowd is a weird skill that yeah. no one's really 
taught. And, um, and I was like, yes, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do in this scenario, but yes. And that changed the course of my life. And I, I, I had already been interested in coaching my friends who were, you know, writers and pitching in Hollywood or entrepreneurs, but that really set me off on, so I don't just do accents that really set me off on, oh, so I'm really interested in, I mean, here's, but here's where, what I came to. I'm really interested in helping magnificent humans show up more magnificently in the moments that matter. And there's so many ways on a, on a technical level that we hide vocally. We have histories of learning how to hide how we really feel and how revealing we could be by like going into our throat. I mean, doing some of that flat thing that I was sort of joking about mm-hmm. with, the, with the Brits, but you know, all humans have the ability to like make everything sound like this and just sort of like, oh, you know, it's fine, whatever. It's, it's, this is the biggest opportunity in my life, but like, whatever, you know, and, 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 and like, that's a defense mechanism and it's completely deeply understandable, but most of us have picked up habits, whether it's that or, you know, whatever, a billion different tiny ways, not breathing enough. A lot of the stuff that women especially get mocked for saying we're like too much hedging, mm. quote unquote, saying I just ending sentences with, I mean, but I don't know, what do you think? You know, none of these are bad to be clear yeah. to anybody listening. I, from a linguistic perspective, this is one of my favorite things uh, about linguists. Here's what they say. Every habit, every vocal habit we have ever picked up, we have picked up for a reason. Mm. It has served us somewhere. Your daughter speaking with a different accent than your son, right? Mm-hmm. Although they're twins, they're having different life experiences. Totally. They're entering rooms in different ways. They are picking up the vibes in the room and they are ch- adjusting how they sound in order to be treated slightly differently, whether it happens consciously or not. And all of us do that. Okay. I feel so vindicated. My 11th grade English teacher set up a jar in the classroom specifically for my friend and I that we had to put in 25 cents anytime we said like in a sentence because he was basically like, we, he, like, he was like, basically like, we need to get this out of you before you go to college. And so we had, God, I don't even know how much money I put in that jar. It makes me oh, so it was a lot. angry. It makes me so angry. I mean, you can you can hear, for those of you listening, right? On the one hand, I'm referring to these as habits we've picked up and sometimes we've outgrown them. And this is true and this is real. And sometimes we haven't. Mm. And sometimes that kind of an authoritarian policing of how we sound is just, I mean, I'll just name it, is just a patriarchal or yeah. white supremacist way of saying there's a standard. And if you deviate from the standard, you're wrong. Yeah. And I'm interested in bringing like a whole social justice lens to what it is to speak in public and go, who picked these standards? Amen. Who do they help? Because I call, you know, well, BS, but also I call that suspicious that they serve a certain demographic. Mm-hmm. So that's where that's where I'm the bringing story like, I'm bringing like from. back. I'm bringing like back. It's coming bring, back. In. Bring back it's coming the back. Like. Natalie, listen well, and up. We're doing it again. Also, <laughs> also for you and for anyone listening, Google how many likes there are. This amazing uh, author of this book, Word Slut, named Amanda Montel, wrote this article uh, based on her book about the six different likes in English. So, for example, when you said that your teacher was like blah blah blah, that's the kind of like that we use to mean said, right. but I'm not going to quote directly. That mm. is literally a different like than this shirt is like totally cool. Yeah. That shirt is like totally cool. So which is just a homonym. <laughs> it's a homonym. This they sound the same. Do you know? <laughs> I mean, you you must be have been so um 
well prepared to write a book because you think so much about language, word choice, and not just what's being said, but how something is said. So I feel like that was probably, you know, sometimes I'll just like write a sentence and I'm like, oh, whatever, this is fine. And then I have to go back like a hundred times and read it again. That's hilarious. No, I will say, I'll give you a totally honest answer, which is I was an English major. So on the, on the one hand, yes. But on the other hand, actually, I think being an English major set me up too. I'm going to say something I've never said out loud before. (laughs) Be able to mount a pretty clever sounding argument, even if it's not true. Excellent. And I had to break myself of that to write this book because I'm much more honest out loud. Mm. I'm not dishonest on the page, but the cleverness, the sort of like, does this sound true enough? Yeah. Would look, or like, is if it's pretty enough, did I even notice if it didn't totally ring true? And I really, really was like, I mean, I had to like out loudify I, you know, right after I sold the book, which was right at the top of the pandemic, I sold it off of a proposal. I don't know what your story is. We should definitely have this conversation as well. And so I had to like figure out how to turn a proposal into a book, which I'd mm. never done before, but it was also <laughs> early pandemic days. And May of 2020, I had like never left my house. You know, we were in serious lockdown in the States and I had a, at the time, four, almost five-year-old and a husband. And both of us were just like... <laughs> we could use uh, five seconds of, of breathing space. Mm. Um, and so I got myself an Airbnb over Mother's Day, like four-day weekend or Happy something. Happy Mother's Day. Did you go there alone? That's the best I Mother's did. Day. Of present. course I did. <laughs> of course I did. I was, like, I was like, mama needs a writer's retreat. And here's what I did. I sat in a hot tub. I turned on my voice memos app on my phone because I'm more honest out loud mm. or not. It's, it's not even about honesty. My, my bullshit gauge, you know, like my body knowing whether something rings true or not is what I'm really trying to get at. Yeah. And I, and I asked myself, I like interrogate lovingly interrogated myself about like, why do I even care about public speaking? Why should anybody, why does anybody, I mean, like we all know it makes our body do wild things mm. to be seen at scale. So why would we do it anyway? What is, what is my, why, what's my answer to that question? And I talked until I, until something felt right. And then that became, you know, sort of early essays that made its way. That's into that. fascinating. That's such a cool process. All right. I want to talk about the book, but I do want to hear a little bit about your experience being a dialect coach in the movies. I saw, in fact, that you did this for the Eurovision movie, one of my <gasps> personal favorites. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're big Eurovision fans over here in this house. We are going this year to Eurovision because it's actually in the UK. So um, tell me just a little bit about like, what what is that job like? Like, how do clients find you? You know, you said that you pick up an accent when you get hired to do something. So how do you learn and prepare to do something like that? Mm. Give me like a little bit of an overview of that job. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So usually a dialect coach is hired either by the producers, if they're being really proactive, or by the actor themselves, especially if it's somebody that you've worked with before and they sign on to do a job where there's clearly an accent requirement like mm-hmm. on the page. And they're like, oh, good, another opportunity to work with Samara, which is what <laughs> Rachel McAdams did, which was so delicious. Um, and she also, by the way, turned around and wrote a beautiful blurb for my book. Uh, and we were just in touch last night about how I should come and do a book tour in her in her hometown. And I was like, okay. The answer's yes. Yes. <laughs> So the process is, the research part of it is actually, it's really fun and not that much heavy lifting. I mean, what I was, what I tend to do is look for using this thing called the internet, um, usually YouTube. I do this thing where I try to find the accent that feels right for this character, right? I mean, in this case, it's literally like small town Iceland, but also a sample, a human, a real human on the internet who um, energetically feels right. So in this case, um, Bjork was obviously a good sample, but I needed to find an interview with her where her accent was really clean and clear and consistent, which Mm -hmm. actually, because she spent a lot of time in the UK, et cetera, she had phases. We all do. Back to the metaphor of your daughter, Mm -hmm. right? Um, This is normal. This is good. I like to say our voice reflects our life experience, which also means every single one of us sounds a little different from everyone else. And we should. And we're unicorns. And it is beautiful, even if some of our habits frustrate us. And then I also found, because, you know, for those of you who've seen this movie, Eurovision, it's sort of about a, if you look at it from her character's point of view, at least, it's sort of about somebody um, who doesn't have a voice and finds one. Mm-hmm. So what was it to find uh, an Icelandic speaker who also kind of gave off that kind of, well, vocal hiding, as I put it earlier, mm-hmm. right? A little bit. And and there's this lovely woman on the internet who does ASMR, like those sites, those little, like, quiet soundy videos who's Icelandic and so we used her as the other um sample and then I break down the sounds using this extremely uh, academic sounding thing called the international phonetic alphabet by the way that's also IPA okay uh, so it's not just the beer <laughs> and the IPA is brilliant it's sort of like sheet music it's like you can figure out how to with with symbols to turn you know the equivalent of music into writing so that anyone else can look at the writing and make music back out of it. So that's how we can write out the vowels and consonants of any accent and figure out what's literally, this is the official term. It's like the most unofficial sounding official term, sound change sheet. So we make a sound change sheet and it's literally like, here are the rules of this accent. This sound in American English or, you know, in in Canadian, in, in Rachel's case, uh, switches to this sound. This sound switches to this sound. This right. sound switches to this sound. And it's pretty consistent. If it's inconsistent, that's okay. We can also note that. But for the most part, accents are pretty consistent. So, you know, like the the ah honest sound. This is a big open O in American English. Ah, 
Uh, if anybody here wants to just try it out loud, ah, you can tell it's almost, it really is indistinguishable from an AH. Ah, mm-hmm. ah, ah. Honest. Mm-hmm. So I like, I coach foreigners for, who've never made that sound before to say honest or not, or gotta, I gotta go, like it's an AH, right? Love it's it. like the most relaxed, open thing. But for almost every other language, they don't have that. They're only always old. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing like a round lip situation. Oh, I mean, here I am in, you know, a Spanish speaking part of the world. Oh. So similarly in Icelandic, right? There's this amazing little video with um, Bjork where she says, I I prefer to call pop music like folk music because it's the music of the people. And she says, I prefer to call pop music, pop, pop, right? Pop music, like folk music, because it's the music of the people. (laughs) Okay, so so, you're so good at this though. So, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of experience. Do you think that there are some people who just have a better ear, they pick it up more quickly? Or do you think anybody can be taught to learn to speak in a different way? I'll tell you the answer is more psychological than people think. It has so much more, whether or not you can pick up accents, whether or not you do actually, if you are living in a place for a long time, often has a lot to do with your connection to how you sounded before. Mm. Like how much kind of, not even rigidness, but real affinity you have for how you grew up sounding and how much you want to hold on to that versus how sort of open you are and changeable and and how much you mirror the people around you, which is also a beautiful sign of empathy. So I don't mean to say that either is good or bad, but they are revealing of how, you know, that book on um, fixed mindset versus growth mindset, Mm -hmm. like it's revealing of how, how, I don't know, sort of flexible you are or changeable or adaptable. And there's beauty in both holding on to the parts of you that that you don't want to lose. And there's also beauty in, you know, letting your life experience really be reflected in your sound. It's such a fascinating way to think about it. I mean, I've been- But in a, I've but been, in a practical, but in a less romantic level, yeah. I got to say, yes, when an actor sits across from me, sometimes they're having resistance picking up a sound. And is mm-hmm. it that they have a quote unquote bad ear? Or is it that like- a French actress I'm thinking of, just a student, she was just a student, like was having, she was paying me outside of school. I was working at an acting school for a little while. She was paying me to like really work on her American accent. So she could really launch her career because here she was in Hollywood and was seeing no progress, which honestly I have very little experience with. I'm a <laughs> student. So I was like, I was like, what is, what's going on? And then I realized, oh, actually, and apologize, apologies to anybody who's French here and, and feels wounded by this. So I was, she was paying me actual money and yet not really implementing the work we were doing. And I suddenly realized, ah, on some level that she doesn't even realize, she does not want to be accidentally mistaken for American. Mm-hmm. So this is what I mean about the psychological side. I totally believe right? you. I still sound like this. I've been here for 15 years this month. And... Mm-hmm. No one ever seems to, people are always like, how long have you been here for? Three months? And I'm like, no, I've been here for a very large chunk of my life. But I think that at some point, I remember my brother coming to visit and making fun of me for sounding British. He was (gasps) like, oh, you picked up that Madonna accent, did you? And I was like, did I? Okay, I better go back to sounding the way I sounded before. And you're absolutely right. And I I love my American accent. So... Very, very interesting. I never thought about it that way. I just always thought maybe I was like a person who didn't have a good ear for accents. But maybe I'm just feeling so connected to who I was and the person that I grew up being before I moved here. And I mean, if we want to, if we want to dig even deeper, like why do we adjust how we sound? Well, it's to fit in. It has to do with 
you know, I, I, the word insecurity came to mind. I don't know if it's, if it's that or, or, or something more, um, just sort of primal, mm. but you know, human brains. <laughs> um, what could I say after that? Human brains, where I was going with this, that I, I, I bet you guys all uh, sort of sense where I was going is human brains love to figure out who's an us and who's a them. Mm. Right. I mean, this is, this is deeply uh, a problemagical. <laughs> and as a result, if we enter a them space and we realize we don't sound like them, we get to decide, right? Am right. I going to hold on to the, to, to my usness because I'm actually totally secure in myself and I'm fine being an outsider in this world or for protection's sake, for survival, do we go, you know, and often this does not happen at the level of conscious thought. Do we go, I'll pick up some of this stuff so that I'm signaling that yeah. I'm safe. So fascinating. All right. So I want to hear about the book. The book is out. The books will have been out for a week now when people are listening to this. Um, so let tell everybody a little bit about Permission to Speak, what it's about and why they should buy it. Well, um, I really have already talked a lot about it. So you guys are, have a pretty good sense. I mean, the when I was coaching those women who are running for office, I was so aware of the ways in which we hold ourselves back from showing up as whole as we can in public, right? We all have, <laughs> I made up this term, the generic monster. It's like this seemingly adorable little creature that sits on our shoulder <laughs> and says, um, well, you don't know how to speak in public, but that other person over there does. So why don't you just do it like them? Or if you don't feel that you can adjust so well, it just says you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Or it says you're too weird. So what are the ways that you can do to shave off your weird? And so as a result, often if we are, you know, whatever, introducing somebody in front of lots of people, we'll end up trying to be like the most generic version of ourselves. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, welcome and good morning. Right. And then no one has the opportunity to fall in love with us. <laughs> and does that, does that generic monster keep us safe? Yes. And does it keep us from making a real impact? Yes. So I'm really, really interested in the ways tiny and big. I mean, I just gave an example of speaking in front of people. That's like an obvious quote unquote public speaking, but really any conversation we have, I think where there's a power dynamic at play and where we're talking to somebody who doesn't already know everything about us, mm. I define as public speaking. And my real aha was that having come up, I should clarify, not at all in a public speaking context, like I'm not educated in that way. I have the, the creative and the performance and the, you know, I have an MFA in acting and, and the, I've always been interested in the psychological and the linguistic side of things, but not like, you know, here's how to be a professional, quote unquote professional and sound like one in a right. quote unquote professional context. So as I started coaching real humans, both in one-on-one -on -one and then also more and more in group settings and more and more now in corporate settings, I am deeply aware that most of the stories that are in our heads rattling around two things. One, we have really old stories. This kid told me in second grade, blah, mm. blah, blah, and about my voice, and it never left me. And two, stuff like what your teacher said, you know, the way to, to be taken seriously yeah, totally. is to stop doing all of your habits. So both of those are super, super fear-based, both in terms of being, you know, light, light bullied, you know, by, by people who say things 
unkind about our voice and it rattles around in there. And then we also have, I would add a a layer of shame for most of us around why did I let that get to me? Mm. Why do I still remember it 30 years later? So there's that. And then there's this, and then there's just this like huge amount of advice, whether it's from that teacher or from a, you know, executive presence coaching course that you're, you know, a training you're required to take for work that says, keep your voice low if you want to get taken seriously. And my big aha is that all of that is from such a fear-based perspective. I hope they don't laugh at me. I hope they don't dismiss me. What if public speaking felt like love? Like really in a not Pollyanna-ish way, what if we actually cared out loud, taught ourselves how to feel safe doing that, in such a way that the care <laughs> spreads, which is, by the way, what every moment of public speaking any of us have ever loved and shared with friends and made go viral does. Oh my God. So once I realized that that was at the heart of this, I was like, oh God, we all just have such an, a messy, messy relationship to our voices. And I think that I have a frame you know, Fabulous. on how to rethink that. And really what I, what I realized from coaching people before the book even came about was it's not like I need to have all the <laughs> answers. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> it's that, I mean, because also, uh, honestly, I do mean this also, we are all experts on our own voice. We right. just, you know, sometimes could use a little, what, what I realized I could offer was three things. One, some space to say like those sound, those, the, the ways you talk to yourself about your own voice in your head matter. Mm-hmm. Some language, you know, a little bit of the psychological and, and linguistic perspective, a little bit of the stuff I've made up, you know, the generic monster, like uh, some, some frameworks to help mm-hmm. with thinking about this. And the third thing is solidarity, because so many of us feel so alone when we feel like we're being judged for our voice. And I can say with absolute authority, <laughs> this is such a universal feeling and we're going to solve it together. Oh my gosh. I feel so energized. All right, Samara, this has been amazing. I'd like to finish up with a little bit of advice and I am selfishly going to ask you for advice <laughs> for myself. Yes. Embarking on my book tour, going to be doing a lot of public speaking. What advice do you have for me as I think about preparing for that? Mm, I love this. Okay. I'll say two things. One super practical and I mean, they're both practical, but one like that feels obviously practical and then mm-hmm. the other that's a little more like Ooh. got it <laughs> um and by the way i will say you know my book is called permission to speak i actually do think that the speaking and the permission are these two different categories right mm-hmm. the speaking i'm always happy to talk about like you know obviously vowels and consonants but also most of us have questions about tone and volume and these things that make that remind us that our voice is a instrument Right. And then the permission side is like how to actually show up as the version of ourselves that we love in those high stakes situations. Um, so I'll say on the speaking side, um, and obviously this is for you, but also for all of us, what's your relationship to breath, right? What do you, what can you do ahead of time to remind your body that the lower you breathe, the more surprising you'll be, the more whole you'll be, right? So what does it mean to breathe lower? Well, really, if we just do jumping jacks, we'll kind of find it if you run around the block, if you do some yoga. The idea is that uh, our diaphragm, this like huge muscle in the middle of our torso that goes left to right and and in resting position is sort of like a dome. Mm -hmm. If we activate it, it becomes a bowl and it rearranges our muscles, or our muscles, It, it is a muscle. It rearranges our organs and like brings air into our lungs and like this heat, this like really kind of massive system happens. But if we don't activate it 
That doesn't happen. And we can all get away with not activating it. And most of us do. Mm -hmm. So we take these little shallow breaths and we don't, I mean, on a self-preservation level, we don't get into the messy in our gut. We also, you know, look skinnier in the middle if we have a history of sucking in, mm-hmm. right? Like this is this is just stuff that happens. So a little tiny bit of warm up ahead of time where you're actually sort of intentionally expanding that part of your body. You know, you can do some stretches. Oh my God, I have not to, I mean, this is like, I'm going to, I'm going to plug this, but it's free. It's on my inner, it's on my internet. <sighs> on your it's internet. On, it's on my website. Um, if you go to samarbay.com slash goodies, there's a free five, six-ish minute warm-up. And it is, it's literally, you know, if, you, if you're like, great, breeze, how? Here's your answer. The other thing, and this is for you especially because you are so open and charming and lovely. And we just really want to make sure that you show up that way in all okay. of the moments. Thank you. And go uh, on. <laughs> um, uh, what you think about right beforehand matters. Psychologists call this priming for power. We can accidentally spend our few moments before we step out on stage or, you know, (laughs) at a bookstore thinking about what we want to say, going over and over and over what we want to say, or thinking about what we hope doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. right? As I call it, the worst case scenario wising. So understandable. Both of those impulses, totally understandable. Here's a third option. Bring to mind a memory of a moment when someone that maybe you admire, admired you back. Or when a friend told you how great you are, or when something wonderful happened in your life because because you were really validated, because someone was like, we need to hear from you. A moment you felt seen and bring that memory to mind in such a way that you can breathe it in with your whole body so that your body remembers what that moment felt like. And that's literally it. Because we will bring that that feeling of power, the good kind, right? with us into that space. It will remind us who we are. Well, this is perfect because I'm just going to listen back to this conversation before I go to any of my events. I'm going to feel fabulous and it's all going to work out. Samara, thank you (laughs) so, so much for your time. I have had so much fun. And um, everybody, please get permission to speak, which is out now. And it has just been a joy to talk to you today. I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled to be book buddies with you. I am quite honored. And and thank you, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are produced by Zibby Audio and want to send a huge thanks to Zibby Owens, Chelsea Grogan, and the team at Texture Sound for their support. Don't forget to buy your copy of my What If Year, which is out now. You can also sign up for my mailing list on aliciafmiranda.com or find me on Instagram at aliciafmiranda. It's the best place to hear about future podcasts and, of course, memes about Gilmore Girls. And if you decide to quit your day job, please share that too. Mm-hmm.